0: Here we go today. Sunday, January 17th, 2015, Ah, no, it's 2016, and this is episode 145 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me today is Mr. Andrew Callett.
1: You know, my only real 2016 resolution was to remember to say it was 2016 and write 2016 where I'm supposed to. But uh, hey and and today's a little special because we're recording from an undisclosed location near ShmooCon in Washington DC That's right in the bunker well if you could call it, it looks awfully like a hotel room but we'll call it a
0: bunker sure <laughs> yeah uh, and uh, apologies I uh, I'm certainly losing my voice and uh, feeling a little hungover even though <laughs> I didn't really drink that much so, so two drinks apparently you know. Ruins Jerry the next day. I, I'm, I'm a lightweight these days, so this show might be
1: a little... Um, what's the word? Uh, bad.
0: Yeah. So, uh, just before we get in, the thoughts and opinions we express on the show are ours and do not represent those of our employer. So, uh, so yes, as uh, Andy said, we are here at ShmooCon. So, I guess before we get started, what are your, uh, what are you thinking? What are you thinking about ShmooCon? I think it's the best show
1: ever, but that's mainly because they let me give a talk. <laughs> it's true. No, it's a, it's a good show. It's um, you know a lot of people are frustrated with getting tickets to Shmoo, uh, and, and that sort of sometimes can have a negative connotation around the show. But aside from that, it, it's a really good, solid show. It's it's handled well. Logistics are, are good. It's not too crowded. That the content's really strong. Um, I, as usual, didn't get to nearly as many talks as I wanted to. We ended up doing a lot more lobby conning and hallway conning, but it was good. Uh, I, I did give a talk, which hopefully uh, some of you may have seen online. They, they stream live. Eventually it will be, I'm sure, archived and, and displayed. It's it's a really happy talk about death. So uh, just warning that it's not the happiest topic ever, but uh, it, it's kind of an important topic, so I, I think. And it was received well. Uh, there was a bunch of other talks I wanted to go to. I didn't make it. Maybe we'll catch a few before... We jet off to the airport, but it's uh, it is a good show. Uh, Bruce and Heidi and those guys do a really good job putting it on, and uh, if you can get to Shmoo, it's certainly worth coming to. Uh, and and I I do recommend it, but I, I know some people do get very frustrated with with the ticket situation, but it's it's tough. It's you know I was talking to one of the organizers yesterday about this. They've only got a couple of options uh, in terms of of how to handle that, and uh, you. There is a value in not letting your con get too big because, for instance, all the rooms here that the, the main talk lines are in are very big and, and have tons of seating. So there's not a lot of issue with, you know, having to turn over a room and kick people out and standing room only. Uh, you're not – you know, you're able to move through the hallways, uh, you know. So it, it's a tough call uh, anyway. But uh, not not to ramble too much about that, but it's uh, – if you can come, definitely recommend it. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, I've seen over and over again, uh, usually in the last two weeks before ShmooCon, a lot of people uh, sell tickets, uh, yeah. usually at face value, too, where things come up, they got a ticket, they can't go. Um, there there are ways to find tickets. Right. What do you think?
0: Uh, it, it's a very different con than uh, DerbyCon. I, I've not been to another larger con like this other than DerbyCon. How do you compare and contrast? Um, it's certainly a lot more spread out. It's interesting that I see a lot of the same people, even with the ticket issue you just described. I see, I see many of the same people. So it seems like if you are determined to get here, you can usually find a way. And I think there's also a lot of people that come here without tickets too, and just hang out in the, in the bar area or in the, the common area. Um, it's certainly more spread out. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot more uh, at DerbyCon. People seem to congregate more at the conference, and I think uh, people kind of here seem to go everywhere.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Absolutely.
0: Um, but it, it's good. I, I would say my favorite talk so far, uh, by far, was the keynote given by a MIT professor. The keynote was something.
1: Uh, I I really felt like I was completely out of my depth for the
0: keynote. I missed the prerequisite class to follow that one. <laughs> and he he was a I think he was a professor of uh, physics uh, at at MIT and it really wasn't a infosec talk and if if it gets posted I will include a link uh, otherwise I'll I'll tweet it out later. But basically it was it was more about uh, the fundamental evolution of technology uh, intersected with with uh, human civilization and you know, basically the the coming next generation of of technology, which is really going to be about, I think, at least in his view, um, about assembling systems at a much more fundamental, you know, I would say, molecular or atomic layer, uh, using smart machines and and things like that. And you know, you talked about the inefficiency of of our computers. You know, how we ended up with. Uh, von Neumann, and he he had a lot of unkind things to say about Turing and von Neumann, uh, it, which basically led us to the, the computing platform that we have today, which as he describes is, you know, like, I don't remember exactly the number he used, but magnitudes of order uh, inefficient relative to what it could and should be and and you know that a lot of the stuff resonated with me and it's had me thinking so uh, again not not infosec related but um, i know a lot of people in this business are just kind of tech people so uh interesting stuff so having said that the other thing i really liked here is obviously meeting people i got to meet yeah. uh, in person a bunch of people that i you know i would never have been able to meet otherwise and so it's that's been Absol- absolutely amazing. I do wish that I could turn off my introversion bit, mm. <laughs> but you know, whatever. So,
1: I, I think I think most of us who are somewhat introverted can do it for periods of time, but it's you know, it, it takes effort. Yes. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. We've re- we've met a lot of uh, fans of the show or friends of the show, which was great, uh, and uh, it, it's it's still a little weird to me to have folks you know, treat me as anything other than just a guy, uh, you know, a couple of fans who are shy about coming up to say hello and tell me how much they like the show, and it's still a very weird experience. I'm, I'm very thankful for it, don't get me wrong, but it's, uh, you know, it's sort of like I, I we're just a couple of guys talking on a couple of microphones, and, you know, but I'm glad, I'm glad that we're helping people. I mean, one thing we've heard a lot lately is uh, people mentioning that we've given them some useful tips that's helped them in their career, or or the, you know, has helped guide them towards what they're looking for, which is great. I I, I never anticipated we would be that useful to people, but that's uh, excellent.
0: Yeah, and that, honestly, that's why we we do it, right? I mean, it's, it's I mean, it is why. I just f- figured we would fail at it, but yes, yes, it is why. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so we do have a couple of uh, of stories. Really quick, just want yeah, to mention
1: um, one other con coming up that um, a hack of the box in Amsterdam is uh, is, a, oh, is that's a, right yes. is a is a con that's coming up, and they're currently doing call for papers. So uh, you know the organizer is a big fan of the show and asked us to kind of mention that out, and uh, it's obviously. In Amsterdam, which is you know, if, if you're in the US, is a bit of a hike, but uh, apparently it's an awesome show. And one of these days we're going to have to get over there. Absolutely, so
0: does wondering. look does look good. I, I every time I read the press about it, I I wish I were over there. And by the way, Amsterdam is absolutely beautiful place. Um, really remarkable. So if you can get there, go there.
1: Today's show brought to you by the tourism industry of
0: Amsterdam. <laughs> yes. Not that other places aren't particularly wonderful, too. D.C. might not be among them. but
1: You know, D.C. has this kind of, every time I'm here, I think of, you know, lately, like the Americans. I don't know if you watch that TV show, but it's about Russian spies in the yeah. 80s um, living in the D.C. area. But it just it evokes so much sort of uh, nostalgia for, for TV shows or, or movies or political thrillers, it's sort of, it's, it's almost a little surreal sometimes. And I've been to D.C. a ton, but it's like, that's actually, the, you know, the, the Pentagon. That's actually, you know, Arlington uh, National Cemetery. That's actually the White House, you know. It's sort of, uh, it's an interesting place because it has so much history and, and, and you know, reverence for for the place. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, this... It's January. It's a little cold. It's a little gray. It's a little dreary. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's not the best
0: time to be in DC. <laughs> no, I But I did. Uh, we vacationed here over the the past spring, and uh, it it is a nice place. There's a lot of history here. A lot of cool stuff. So, also a nice place to visit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, it's been interesting that uh, uh, ShmooCon has left zero time for anything. Other than uh, transiting between the conference and the hotel, so <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I didn't
1: realize this, but I've actually got uh, today's Sunday, uh, the seventeenth. We, my my employer, has tomorrow off. So had I known, I might have stuck around longer and well, there done some some touristy activities. I, it's really painful for me to not go to Smithsonian Air and Space when I'm in DC. It, it hurts a lot. It's, it's I understand. My soul cries. <laughs> That's not what we're here to talk about.
0: though. That's right. So uh, so we have, like I said, we have some stories. And the first of which comes from Ars Technica. And the title is, security firms sued for filing woefully inadequate forensics report. This is an ugly, ugly situation. And, and it's interesting. So the, the, the forensics company in question is Trustwave. And Trustwave has been, I would say, something of a lightning rod for this sort of Uh, maybe not this exact thing but the sort of thing in the past and the story here is that back in 2013 uh, they were investigating a breach at affinity gaming in las vegas and i I guess affinity gaming is a is a casino operator and um the long story short they were investigating a breach they uh the allegation is right i don't know uh, the, the facts are, are to be determined in court, I suppose. Uh, the allegation is that Trustwave investigated the breach, claimed they had cleaned up the mess and contained the breach. Uh, there were high fives, everybody went home and apparently, uh, unbeknownst to affinity games, th- there were still some there were still some, some malware in, uh, present in their environment. And the intruders kept going, and there was a, basically a second round of uh, you know second second wave to the attack, which was later discovered by Mandian. And so now uh, Trust, uh, sorry, Affinity is suing Trustway, basically saying, you know, you we, we hired you, paid you a bunch of money, uh, you said you had cleaned it all up, uh, but they were they continued to be active while you were here and after you left, even though you said. Uh, they were clean, you are a bad company, and uh, so we'll see you in court. And that's that's apparently the, the nut of it. But this is really interesting uh, to see what happens, right? If it goes anywhere, it could really, it could really kind of turn, uh, you know, the whole incident response business on its head a little bit. Yeah, this is definitely a,
1: a big, in my opinion, as far as I know, a big shift in potential liability. I certainly don't know Trustwave's contractual uh, disclaimers, but most of the time I I think these sorts of of contracts when you sign on is basically, hey, we're going to give you best effort and we're, you know, we assume no liability. Uh, But I guess that's going to be tested in court. It's also interesting that, you know, keep in mind that Mandiant is of course a competitor of Trustwave and there's a lot of swipes from Mandiant at at Trustwave, uh, you know things like saying that. Um, managed report also concluded the various recommendations of Trustwave uh, basically were pointless and would have had uh, no real value in preventing the attacker uh, from again accessing the the, the systems, uh, which is you know interesting. But it's a really you know I'm not apologizing for Trustwave though. Interestingly, uh, Jerry and I used to work with the people who started it, but that's just mere coincidence. Um, It's a tough problem. How do you really, really, really know that you've kicked an attacker fully out of your environment? Yes. And do we really want to open this box of making a a post-breach incident response firm liable for not fully eradicating a, a malware infestation, if you will, or fully addressing business practices and vulnerabilities and everything else to prevent it going further. I mean, you're almost forcing Trustwave into a, uh, or or someone in their situation, a permanent liability for future uh, breach activity, uh, when really the the organization, uh, in this case, uh, Affinity Games, uh, gaming has a whole bunch of of choices in what they choose to do or not do and how much can a company like Trustwave really know about that organization, everything about it, uh, in a certain period of time. We don't know how much they charged. We don't know if they, uh, were given certain limitations in, in, in time. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, did, is it possible Trustwave was basically really incompetent? Absolutely. Uh, does suing them in court over it is that a good thing for industry? I don't know that it is.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's it, it'll be very interesting to see what, where it goes. I will tell you the you know the the whisper here at the conference that I've have overheard some conversations is that uh, kind of the other way, basically saying you know it's this is not a surprising thing given that it was mandiant, and so so there's some finger pointing. What do you mean on,
1: giving that it was Mandiant
0: the, the, you know, it's not surprising that we're here because Mandiant has this propensity and I'm just repeating what I heard right mm-hmm. Mandiant apparently has this propensity for throwing rocks at uh, some of their competitors and I sure. that was you know I have never worked with with Mandiant so I I, I don't have any first-hand experience well but that's the
1: uh, yeah I think that well, first of all, we've got lawyers involved. So lawyers are always going to make the situation as stark as they possibly can. But one of the quotes from the complaint, which you know kind of spun up the lawsuit was, quote, Maniot's forthright and thorough investigation concluded that Trustwave's represent- representations were untrue and Trustwave's prior work was woefully
0: inadequate." Yeah. Now, now I do want to say that again, I haven't I've not had the luxury of reading the report that Trustwave issued, but it, it does seem if if Trustwave did say, you know, hey, we we got it all clean and you know you're good to go, that is concerning to me because it, I don't know how you can actually make that statement. And from a, mm-hmm. a as someone who has had to handle some very large and ugly and complex uh, breaches, there's really not a deterministic way to tell if you've completely eradicated the actor other than, you know, burning it all down and starting over, which very few companies are really willing to do. It's expensive. It's disruptive. uh, Especially if, if you're a large company, you know, I think somebody like Sony were, they had a gun to their head. They basically had no other choice, right? but that's what they did. And, you know, it, it always concerns me when in the aftermath of a breach, people don't, take that step because i have always left been left wondering well you know we really have no assurance that it isn't that they're not still here somewhere and we just don't know it so well malware bites ran clean <laughs> that's true i don't I, <laughs>
1: what more what, what more can you want right it's a tough situation and and i i I worry about a chilling effect if 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 this stands and you know there isn't some sort of gross negligence that's non-industry standard if for instance trustwave is, is found liable and they have to pay a bunch of money does that mean that other organizations are going to stop doing this sort of service for fear of missing something really sophisticated or or just not having the time scope money whatever from the co- client to go find it all And we're left with less and less folks doing these services. I I think we've got the opposite problem. We don't have enough folks. And, And certainly, in any industry, you're always going to have a bell curve of talent and capability. And typically, price can reflect that. You know, I'd be very curious to know, for instance, what the price difference is between Trustwave PCI forensics investigation and a Mandiant one, right? And and also, how you subjectively rate the the different capabilities of those organizations, but ultimately it's it's a tough call in this situation because if I were running one of these organizations and suddenly had to guarantee that that organization was clean i I would not
0: well it it it, it begs an interesting game theory perspective right so so i, I I'm not sure that forensics companies are going to get out of the business, but i I, I would bet you that forensics companies are going to be hesitant to walk out of an engagement like this, assuming, assuming that, you know, this suit is successful just for a second. Um, I, I would imagine that, that these forensics companies are going are, are not going to leave the business or their customer without a recommendation that says replace it all. Right. And, and, you know, maybe some, some methodology on how to, you know, contain and, and make sure there's no cross contamination and, and whatnot. But um, yeah, but they're... then, but then you get to the point of, well, if that's the recommendation, right? Why am I, why am I paying you a quarter million dollars at least, at least to tell me that I need to replace my entire IT infrastructure? <laughs> But
1: that's what we're going to force people into
0: saying, right? They're going to yeah. come in. They're going to come with a whole bunch of recommendations. They know the customer
1: will never really do to protect themselves. Them right. being, you know, the the consulting organization from whatever liability that may come up afterwards. I, I'm not saying we shouldn't hold vendors accountable, and I don't know all the details, but this is a weird one that I think could have some pretty chilling consequences on the industry if we're not careful.
0: Yeah, yeah, but it, I, I do think from a you know from a pragmatic perspective it it does highlight the point that you know here you have a here you, i think the facts of the case are at least we know some facts of the case which seem to be not in dispute which is they were they were compromised Trustwave came in and they were still compromised when Trustwave left now whatever else you want to say you know that, that's that's up for debate but i think it points to the the challenge we have that here you have a somewhat sophisticated uh incident response company who uh who didn't catch some stuff and so what does that say about the rest of us who are doing this on our own yeah
1: absolutely and it's it's not easy right uh, you know this isn't this isn't ever a guarantee. I mean, especially when we have attackers who are looking at being as persistent and as quiet as they can be in certain circumstances. Right. I, I don't Like I said earlier, how can you ever be 100% assured that you've kicked them out? Yeah. You know, even if you found their initial uh, exploit point and infiltration point and shut that down, it doesn't mean that they haven't established persistence in some other methodology.
0: And they often do. Yeah. That's the problem. All right, so moving on to our next story. This one comes from CSO Online, and the title is Trend Micro Flaw Could Have Allowed Attacker to Steal All Passwords. So uh, so Trend Micro has, as I'm sure everybody's aware, an antivirus package. Uh, but what you may not be aware of is that that antivirus package also contains a password manager, which I guess is just a free add-on. Um, but uh, apparently the antivirus suite has a number of APIs that are callable uh, via the via web pages, and so so basically, if you visit a web page, the the web server can make API calls to the local um, you know Trend Micro agent. And uh, apparently, there's like 70 different APIs. So, so this agent is is interpreting
1: every single HTTP. And needs to
0: looking for right. It's looking for wow. certain. Uh, you know, it's for certain API calls, and apparently, uh, these API calls, um, if properly abused, will allow arbitrary remote code execution. So basically, a web server that you visit oh, can boy. execute code using the Trend Micro agent.
1: That's excellent.
0: Absolutely, and it will allow your uh, the, the website you're visiting to steal all of your passwords. <laughs> What is not to love about that? I don't see the problem here. I, I <laughs> yeah, and that, you know, I, so two things. One is, you know, it's the law of unintended consequences. You know, it's it's uh, you're adding some interesting features and functionality, and I'm sure from the perspective of, TreadMicro's Micro's product management, they had a really good thing in mind when they, <laughs> when they conceived of this, uh, you know, this this thing, but they obviously didn't think through. The product management slide
1: deck was excellent. On this, well, I'm sure it was. You know, this brings up an interesting sort of challenge is when our security technology starts introducing more risk into our environment. Which has become a theme lately. Yeah. And it seems like we're seeing more. I mean, certainly these tools are getting more sophisticated and whatnot. But uh, that is an interesting problem. You know, so we, we've seen some other stuff like this too. I, there was a lot of speculation at the target that the uh, you know software distribution tools from Microsoft were used to push the malware out. Right. Uh, I don't know if we've ever gotten full confirmation of that, but there's a lot of speculation. And you know, but at some point you've got to trust something. This is the problem: is that. These things do happen, but you can't necessarily throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, and, you know, we're seeing the same thing like with Juniper and Fortinet and some other security technologies right now that uh, our our confidence in them is certainly waning, but you still have to use them.
0: Well, you do have to use them, but I think you also have to be, you have to have some healthy amount of skepticism about what they do for you and, Mm -hmm. you know... That they are not omniscient, and they, they can't do everything, and and they make mistakes too. Right, they make mistakes, and and not only do they make mistakes, but um, you know the, the, pe- I, I I think from what I've seen, a lot of people, uh, for whatever different for of reason, right, implement them badly, right, and so right. so when you th- when you talk about like um, the Juniper deal with SSH. Well, if you don't have your if you don't have your Juniper device accessible with SSH on the internet, it's a far smaller problem. But we know that that happened in mass because they're after you know mm-hmm. after it was announced, people were trolling Shodan looking for <laughs> looking for uh, you know Juniper devices well, hanging out on the internet, and they were finding them. It,
1: it's a far smaller problem if it's not exposed on the internet, as long as nobody knows about it. Yes. As soon as it's known, it's a huge insider problem, <laughs> right? <laughs> or you know, a pivot point uh, once right. somebody's got inside. But yes, yeah, I, I agree. Um, and again, that goes to the assumption of well, nobody would expose this on the internet. Guess what? They do, they do. <laughs> uh,
0: intentionally or otherwise. Right. Right. So. Uh, so yeah, that's. Um, that, it's not a not a good look. Um. <laughs> oh hey. So our, um, I guess our last story is actually about Fortinet, which we just mentioned. So the, this comes from Ars Technica as well. And the title is, At 2 Fortinet, Hard-Coded Password Raises New Backdoor Eavesdropping Fears. So um, this is a little different, I guess, than the Juniper deal, where, where Juniper had a hard-coded password. Uh, and we actually got to see some of the code that... You know that that contained that backdoor password, and, and it was clearly in the Juniper case. You, I would say, just you know, having been an old time C C guy, and we mean old, and, and I do mean old. I mean, it, like it was he chiseled his C plus on stone tablets. Old, it was. It was pretty clear to me that someone was playing a game trying to hide code in site, right? So we don't know that that's going on with Fortinet. Fortinet. So, so, on the Juniper side, Juniper's like, holy crap, this is bad. We're going to, you know, here's some patches, you know, be aware, beware, beware. Contrast. <laughs> Please don't sue us. Contrast that with Fortinet basically saying, uh, apparently releasing a patch that fixed the problem uh, a year ago or so, uh, not really saying anything about it. And when someone realized that there was a hard coded password, uh, Fortinet's response was, well,. It was actually implemented as a as a management function that that would allow our central management systems to to communicate and manage certainly our right. devices. Yeah,
1: yeah, because that by far is the best way to do that,
0: right? And we, and we, you know, we we we've since realized the the you know, how how silly that was, and we fixed it. It was a feature. We fixed it. It, it was, was a feature. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was an ill conceived feature. <laughs> we realized our mistake. We patched it. You know, why are we even talking about Thanks it? Thanks for your concern.
1: <laughs> Although, you know, I gotta say, I don't know if that's legitimate because the hard coded password is. And I, I apologize for this because it's, but it is just to give you a, a flavor for this: fgtabc one one asterisk xy plus qqz two seven. Yeah that doesn't sound like a you know one time not even one time but a static shared administrative password to me <laughs> but i guess it's possible i guess somebody thought they were being clever i don't know i mean do you think that's legitimate do you think that this was indeed a
0: an ill conceived management technique hard, it's really hard to say i mean it could have been a back, it could have been a debug thing you know one of the one of the issues is you you, you never really get the full story because the, there's marketing spin, right? But it. it I, I think that the interesting contrast is in how Juniper handled it versus how uh, you know these guys Fortinet handled it. Um, you know, in, in Juniper's, I think Juniper fell on their sword and said, "This is you know this is a bad thing. You really need to take it very seriously." And uh, and watch card seems to be, I'm sorry, not watch card. Fortinet seems to be. Um, just taking a very different, nonchalant approach to it. So, well, it makes me wonder too.
1: I, I I don't see it anywhere in this article, but I'd be very curious what the release notes said for the patch that came out. Yes, uh, and uh, you know how urgent they communicated that patch to be installed. Um, not a lot of people
0: aggressively patch their network gear. Yeah, so so just uh, I I did find the statement that, mm. that they released here's the here's the statement released by um by fortinet on this issue the issue was resolved or was resolved and a patch was made available in july 2014 as part of fortinet's commitment to ensuring the quality and integrity of our code base this was not a backdoor vulnerability issue but rather a management authentication issue the issue was identified by our product security team as part of their regular review and testing efforts after careful analysis investigation, we were able to verify this issue was not due to any malicious malicious activity by any party, internal or external. All versions of Ford OS from five point zero eight and later, as well as Forda OS four point three point one seven and later are not impacted by this issue. End quote. <laughs> so so yeah, that's I, I I think that again it goes back to what we were talking about a couple minutes ago, um, you know, th- these the security technology that we're deploying itself has its own raft of issues, which I think really are only now coming into focus, and and so it's not. I, in my my view, is that you know, tech, technology the the, the focus. Of technology from a vulnerability perspective, kind of comes in waves, and so for a long time people were focusing very heavily and intently on Microsoft, and and you know and there's lots of research on that because it was you know let's be be fair right it was a very target rich environment it was easy to find well stuff. and and it also has a great deal to do with market share yeah, absolutely yeah uh, and now um, probably because of that market share perspective too uh, people are you know and and i think it's also a self-feeding thing right so now you know we we saw there was default passwords in in uh in juniper well now you can imma- you can imagine that there's a raft there's a whole host of security researchers picking through every damn firewall out there looking for default passwords and we're probably going to find some right this is probably not the last and and you know antivirus engines you know, we've 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 seen in the in the past couple of years a, a number of significant issues, and I think that trend's going to continue. Those are really complicated pieces of code. As much as we hate them, and we we laugh at their at their effectiveness, they're ungodly complicated. Yep, and we're going to find. We're going to find problems, and I think as security people or as IT people, we have to be aware that things we're, we're slapping into our environment to help solve other issues are creating new issues that we are not even yet aware of.
1: I guess the, the one thing I would say is that Sometimes we still have to just deal with those issues. We we can't just say, "Well, we're going to not use anything because <laughs> right. everything's vulnerable." Oh, and, great! But some people think that way, right? They, they say, "Well, you know, the NSA could use this us against people." I don't <laughs> we still have to do our jobs. And we still have to minimize risk to an acceptable level. We can never get to zero. Yes. So, no matter what, we still have to figure out a way to cope with these situations and, and move forward, and, and and just be cognizant of it. And certainly, you know, I'm not making excuses for Trend or Fortin or anybody else that they shouldn't be doing this. But we can't knee-jerk into saying, well, then all this security technology sucks and, we're, you know, it's not worth em- employing
0: because that's not going to help us either. Mm-hmm. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm just on the point that we have to be aware that this is not infallible technology. It's not just that it isn't, isn't always effective. It's that it has its own bugs and we need to be aware of it. Yep. So. Anyway, uh, any closing thoughts?
1: Uh, no, I'm probably going to head back over to Shmukhan for the last couple hours before we head to the airport. So um, we can wrap it here and get back to our regular recording schedule next week. And Good deal. Hopefully be a little more timely. Sorry, the last couple of weeks have been kind of bumpy. We've all been very busy and some stuff going on in our personal lives. That's calmed down now, but you know the holidays and everything else makes life a little more challenging.
0: That's right. Well, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for listening and just a reminder if you want to find links to the stories we talk about today or on any of the other epi- episodes, you can go to our website www.defensivesecurity.org and uh, you can find links to all the these stories uh as well as our back episodes. So uh we also like to say thank you to those uh Patreon donors who have who have donated money. Thank you very much. Absolutely, thank you. And uh thank you a special thank you to those people that we've had the, the pleasure of meeting in person uh here at DerbyCon and other places. You know, thank you very much for coming up and saying hi. Uh you should not feel shy. We're we're um we actually love meeting people. Even it's, even
1: if we're awkward about it.
0: Yeah. It's it's awkward because we're awkward, not because well, you get it. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> All right. But it, it does honestly make it worth it. That's right. right.
1: I mean, because this is a, a, mostly a labor of love, and it does take a decent amount of effort. So knowing that it makes a difference for folks definitely is, is, is very, very encouraging and, and
0: fulfilling. That's right. Thank you very much. Talk again next week.
1: Bye, guys. Bye-bye.